Well, good morning, church. Good morning. I love it. Lots of energy today. It's exciting. I love what God's doing, the way God's moving among us. And this morning, I'm super excited because we're beginning a brand new series. This is our summer series, and we're studying the life of a guy in the Old Testament named Daniel. Now, a lot of times we think about the Old Testament, like, oh, the Old Testament, right? But I want to tell you, this is such a powerful study and so relevant to where we live today, and I believe it's going to be something for all of us. See, here's the great part about Daniel. We pick up his life when he's 15 years old. All right, so that's what we're going to see today when he's 15 years old. And then we walk with him until he's 85 years old. And so it doesn't matter where you are in life, you know, you may be 15 or you may be 85, God is going to have a word to say to you. Wherever you are, whatever stage of life you're in, this is going to be something this summer I believe that God's going to speak to you about. The second thing I love about Daniel is this. Daniel is one of the only people in the Bible who never compromised. All right? I mean, he, he didn't. I mean, he didn't make any mistakes and and so sometimes it's hard to identify with that because we've all made mistakes, we've all messed up, I have, you know, and, and so we kind of identify with people who have. But the thing about Daniel is he stayed true to God all of his life. And, and I love that about this man. You know, even when Abraham or Moses or David, some of the big guys even made some mistakes. But yet Daniel said, hey, I want to walk with the Lord. I want to live an uncompromised life. And so my challenge to you this summer is going to be this, that no matter what's happened in the past, that you could put a stake in the ground and say, going forward, I want to live my life for Christ. I want to be the man or the woman that God created me to be. I want to make an impact for his name and his glory in my day and my generation. And I believe that's what we're going to see in this book of Daniel. Now, Daniel is divided into two sections. The first six chapters really kind of are more historical. And they talk kind of about the things that happened in his life. There's some big events that are going to happen. We'll see one today. Uh, we'll see some in the coming weeks. But then there's other times he's just faithful. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Day in, day out, in the routine, following God, trusting God. The next six chapters, the last six chapters of the book of Daniel, are more prophetic. They're visions and dreams. And so it's kind of like impressionistic art, you know, and you're looking at it and reading it. And God has, says, hey, I want you to know what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a peek into the future. And so you're going to love as we study even those chapters of what God's going to say to us. But I'm excited about what God's going to teach us. And I hope you are too. So let's get started. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you open with me to the book of Daniel. Old Testament. Daniel will be at Daniel chapter 1. So if you kind of turn to the middle of your Bible and then go to the right a little bit, uh, you'll end up there, Daniel. Uh, so you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then you come to Daniel. So the major prophets, and we're going to be at Daniel chapter 1. Now, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have Bibles for you in the back. So we'd love to give you a free Bible. You can go pick up a Bible and keep that with you. That becomes your Bible. We would love for you to have that free gift. Also, if you have a mobile device, you can access the Scriptures online at version, and then we'll put the scripture on the screen so you can follow along with what God's word has to say. But pick up here, Daniel chapter 1, look at verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. The first thing I want you to see if you're taking notes today is this. Number one, God is in control. God is in control. Look at verse two right there. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim. Notice that. See, all of history is really God's story. I mean, it's his story, history, his story. God has been at work redeeming and restoring mankind ever since the beginning. 
God is sovereign over all. So let me kind of set the context for you today as we kind of dive into Daniel and, and wrap our minds around what's happening here at this point in history. But God created man, right? And God created Adam and Eve. God created man. Why did God create man? God created man for a relationship with him. If you ever wonder why you were created, you were created for a relationship with God. But man sinned. Man messed up. They, they blew it. Adam and Eve, right? But God didn't give up on them just like God doesn't give up on us. And God set into motion a plan to redeem mankind. So God called a guy named Abraham. Abraham. And I want you to see this timeline today. Abraham is around 2000 B.C. And Abraham's living in the Ur of the Chaldeans. And God says to Abraham, leave your country and your people, Genesis chapter 12, and go to a land I will show you. And I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. And then God says, from your offspring I will bring a blessing to all people. Abraham's like, okay, I'll trust you, God. I'll follow you, God. What God was doing was preparing his people so that the Messiah would come, right? That Jesus, everything in all the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. It all is leading up to Jesus. So then Abraham's obedient. He comes down to the promised land. And then after time, generation, generation, they end up in Egypt. And during that time, God protects his people like an incubator, right? And they're slaves, but God's honing them out for himself. And then he raises 1500 B.C., a guy named Moses. And he says, Moses, go down to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go, right? And says, hey, I've got a bigger plan. I'm going to take them back to the promised land. And so Moses goes down and he, he brings the people out. God meets them at Mount Sinai. God gives them the Ten Commandments and says, this is how I want you to live. And when you come into the promised land, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant. But I want you to worship me. Don't fall in love with the gods, little g, of the culture. Don't get enamored with the culture and leave me. You be obedient to me. And so Moses goes down, brings the people out, and then they come in later on through Joshua into the promised land, and there's these judges, and finally God raises up a guy named David. So around 1000 B.C., there's a guy named David and his son Solomon, and they come into Jerusalem, and this is when Israel is at their height, their pinnacle, and they build the temple. And the temple is in the center of Jerusalem. And it's the place where everybody comes to worship. And God says, I want to be first in your life. I want to be first in your community. I want to be first in the nation. And everything is great because they're following God. Until, right, Solomon Solomon, who was the wisest man that ever lived, the wealthiest man that ever lived. But Solomon had a character flaw, and it was this. He loved women, and he took a lot of them as wives. And God told him, no, don't do it, don't do it. I know that's a pagan cultural practice. Don't do it, Solomon. They will lead you from me. And Solomon didn't listen, and sure enough, his heart is led from the Lord. And now there's a divided kingdom, and the kingdom's divided. So you have ten tribes in the north tribes of Israel, and you have two tribes in the south, the tribes of Judah. And if you go back and you study, you look at the Old Testament, you can go in the Chronicles, you can go in the Kings, and you can read all about this, that, that over time, the northern kingdom, bad king after bad king after bad king, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and their nation is led astray. And in 722 B.C., the Assyrians come in and conquer Israel, the tribes, the ten tribes in the north. And so now you've got the south, you've got Jerusalem and Judah, and there's some good kings sprinkled in there. You've got Hezekiah, you've got Josiah. But when we come down to this guy, Daniel's born around 620 B.C., and then we see this guy, Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim becomes the king of Judah at 609 
BC. And it tells us in 2 Kings that Jehoiakim did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Jehoiakim did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, Jeremiah, who was the prophet back then, comes to Jehoiakim and says, hey, God has a word for you, Jehoiakim, and it's this. If you don't straighten up, if you don't start following God, you're going to lead the nation into exile. In fact, Jehoiakim, God's going to put the whole nation into timeout because of your disobedience. You know, you know as a parent, we don't ever like to to punish our kids. I mean, it's so hard, you know, but we don't want to, but we put them in time out sometimes. Why? To get their attention, saying, you're going off, you're living away. I love you too much to let you make those bad decisions. And so God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says to Jehoiakim and says to the nation, hey, you're going to go off into exile for 70 years. God's real specific, says 70 years, until you remember that I should be first, that I should be the Lord of your life, that you should love me. But Jehoiakim doesn't listen to Jeremiah. In fact, he takes the scroll, he wads it up, he throws it in the fire and burns it. He's arrogant, he's prideful, he's not going to listen to God. And so in 605 BC, which is right here in Daniel chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar comes from Babylon and he surrounds the city and besieges Jerusalem. And Jehoiakim realizes, I can't beat the guy, so you know what, I'll just give in. And he gives them articles from the temple. And he also gives them some of the key people. And Daniel and his friends, we'll see that in a second, are taken off in 605 BC and they head to Babylon in exile. Well, Jehoiakim continues to be arrogant. He's finally assassinated, but in 597, Nebuchadnezzar comes back, takes 10,000 Jews away, and then again he comes back in 586. And in 586, he comes back with his whole army and he destroys the temple, he destroys Jerusalem, and he sends everybody off into exile. So 586, BC. That's the end, if you're kind of a biblical scholar, that's the end of first temple period right there at 586 from the temple's built to when it's destroyed. But God didn't give up on them. And God used this man, Daniel, in a powerful way in his day, in his generation. So look at this. It says, then the king ordered Ashaphaz, chief of the official courts, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young man without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among, the, among these were some of, from Judah, Daniel. Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Bethshazzar. To Hanani, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. So at 15 years old, Daniel is taken away. At 15 years old, Daniel's taken away to go live in Babylon. Wow. Can you imagine being 15? I mean, Daniel didn't expect that, right? He's He's growing up there in Judah. It tells us that he was handsome, he was strong, he was smart, he was kind of the cream of the crop. Um, by the way, I had that chance to go to uh, Rolling Hills Summer Camp on Thursday. We've got incredible students here, you guys. I mean, they are awesome. I mean, he's about, it just, they, they love the Lord. They're so energetic and passionate and children and students. And I want to say thank you to you, parents. You know what? We don't know a lot about Daniel's parents, but we know this, that Daniel's parents taught him about the Lord. Daniel's parents taught him about the Lord, man. Isn't that so important? 
And as a parent, you know what? Our job is more than teaching our kids how to throw a football or kick a soccer ball or teach them ballet. Our job is to help teach them about the Lord. It's to help them become men and women of character and integrity. That's our call as parents, as grandparents, as great-grandparents. And, and we don't know, you know what, uh, about his parents. But probably if you go back and trace it, it came from Josiah, who was a godly king. And here's Daniel, and his parents would sit down at night probably and read the Bible with him, and they would tell him Bible stories like Joseph, Joseph in the Old Testament, who was sold by his brothers into slavery, ended up in Potiphar's house in Egypt. And then his Potiphar's wife, you know, kind of makes advances toward him, and Joseph's like, no way, you know, I'm not doing that, I'm not compromising. And so he's thrown into jail, you know, for doing the right thing. But God didn't forget about him, and he raises him up, and he becomes second in command in all of Egypt and ends up saving the people back then. And I bet you Daniel's heard that story and thinks, here I am, 15, and I'm being taken away. I don't know where I'm going, but I know this. I'm going to be faithful. I know this. I'm going to hold on to God. I know this. I'm not going to compromise. Daniel's name means the Lord is my judge. That's what it means. The Lord is my judge. And Daniel, all of his life, all of his life, get this, Daniel lived his life for an audience of one. I'm going to live my life for the Lord. I'm going to live for him. See, maybe you're here today, and you find yourself in, in circumstances that you didn't expect. You know, Daniel's probably thinking, maybe one day I'll be king of Judah. Maybe, you know, I'll be, grow up here, nobility, things are great, you know, and i am get a scholarship, things are going to be good. But, but now he finds himself in a pagan culture learning the Babylonian language in the king's service. Maybe you're here today and circumstances are different. Maybe you didn't expect to move to Middle Tennessee. Maybe you didn't expect to, to be single at this point in your life. Maybe you didn't expect to be married. Maybe you didn't expect to have kids or not have kids. Maybe you didn't expect whatever's going on in your life to be at the job you're at. But I want to tell you this. Circumstances are going to change. There'll be times in our lives we move. There'll be times in our lives we go to different schools. There'll be times in our lives we have different jobs. But what remains the same is this, that there is a God who loves you. And there's a God who's inviting you to trust him. And there's a God who will be faithful to you as you follow him. And Daniel held on to God with everything he had. And at the age of 15, God was doing something great in his life. And God's doing something great in your life. You see, what we see next is this, is that character matters. Character matters. You know what? It, it just does. Come down here to verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. It, guys, think about that. that. That's powerful. Daniel made a commitment not to defile himself. Now, he's in this pagan culture, right? And when they give him a new name, Belteshazzar, Daniel's like, okay, well, I'm not going to fight back about that. That's fine. Give me a pagan name. Give me, but he still refers to himself as Daniel throughout the whole first chapter, right? And when, you know, they send him to school to learn the Babylonian language and to learn, you know, all these things, Daniel's like, fine, that's okay. But when it comes to the food, all of a sudden Daniel goes, no, I'm not going to compromise. See, I've resolved my heart. I'm not going to compromise. Are there areas in your life that you've just resolved, you know what, I'm not going to compromise? You have to make those decisions before you get in a situation. Because when you're in the situation, right, I mean, there's so much pressure and everything else. You have to make those decisions before. And Daniel made those decisions. 
And probably growing up, and he remembered all the dietary laws that were in the Old Testament, and, and God gave those dietary laws, and we kind of look and we get to Leviticus, and we're reading through there, like, what, why, what? And then we realize, hey, wait a minute, God was smart, you know, because he was carving out a people for himself. He didn't want them to eat the bad things and get sick, and it would spread throughout the entire camp, and the whole nation would die off. And Daniel's like, you know what? I know it's the king's food. I know it's the wine. Probably great. Probably everybody else is doing it, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. What are those areas in your life where you just say, no? Maybe the culture, everybody else, everybody's doing it, that's fine. You make your own decision, but, but for me, no. Job was a, another one of those guys in the Old Testament that was blameless. And in Job 31.1, Job says this, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at another woman. Wow. All the men here, I mean, that's just like, I made a commitment. I made a commitment between me and God. I'm not going to go there. I'm just not going to do it. What are those areas in your life? What are those places? You know, I love to play golf. I, I don't get to play as much now. I've got three kids and, you know, the church is growing and everything. It takes a while to play. But, but I used to, me and a buddy, we would go out and play. And uh, when I first moved to Nashville, it was always fun. And, and we would have a great time. And they would always pair you up, you know, with a couple other guys. And, and as guys, when you're playing golf, right, the first few holes, you're kind of out there. You don't know these other two guys, and you don't say a whole lot because you're guys, right? And so you're just like, hey, how's it going, you know? And, and then one of them Beverly would hit, you know, a ball off in the woods, or one of them would hit a, a shot in the water. And then the cuss words would start to come, right, you know, because you're on the golf course. That, and then so, you know, these guys are saying these bad words and cussing and all this. And, and we would just kind of laugh. And then we would get to about hole three or four, and they would say, so what do you do? I go, well, I'm a pastor. And they go, oh. <laughs> so then like the next hole, you know, they miss a putt and be like, darn, you know. I can't believe I missed that. And it was so funny. And, and there were times, I mean, I didn't go, you know, hey, whatever, don't use those words. I mean, people use those words. That's fine. But there would be times when people would take the Lord's name in vain. I would say, you know what, I'm drawing the line here. <laughs> I can't handle that. I'm not going to do that. And it always occurred to me, and I thought about this. If you don't want to use those words around a pastor, should we even be using those? If those are things that we would go, you know what, there's a pastor here, or, you know, if Jesus were standing here, I don't know if I would say that, then you've got to go, hmm, should we, should we be doing that? And I think for all of us, there comes a time when we go, hey, I've got to make some decisions in my life. I can either get caught up in culture and just kind of go the way of culture, or I can say, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't care what culture says, I, I'm resolving in my heart not to defile myself there. I'm making a commitment. At 15 years old, Daniel makes this commitment. And Daniel says, I'm not going to defile myself there. It says, verse 9, now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. So Daniel goes to the official and goes, you know what, I'm not going to eat this food. And the official's like, uh, you know what, it was the king who assigned that. That's Nebuchadnezzar. He's killed a lot of people. Okay, man, I'm just telling you, it's not going to go well for you or for me. I don't want to lose my head. So Daniel then said to him, and he said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. (laughs) See, I love that. See, Daniel found favor with his boss and his supervisor. Daniel found favor. Daniel didn't go to him and go, hey, listen, you you know, you're a pagan and you're doing the wrong things and you're drinking this wine, eating this food, you know, it's bad for you. It's going to leave. Daniel said, I've resolved in my heart I'm not going to do this. So you go and go for that, but let's figure out a win-win. Let's figure out a way that, that I cannot compromise what I believe, and let's figure out a way that you don't lose your head, you know? So give us 10 days. Give us 10 days. Now, Daniel knew, you know, after 10 days that, that God was going to protect him, that God was going to honor that. Some, some of you, you may work for a boss, and you may work for a boss who's not a believer, and man, it, it's hard, right? And you may have a supervisor, you may have a company that has a culture that's tough and challenging. And, and, and I think like Daniel, you have to say, here's the areas where I'm not going to compromise, right? And I'm not going to go in and, and like, you know, put picket signs up or do a, you know, I'm going to sit in or, you know, maybe God call you that. But, but just, hey, how can we figure out a win-win? I want you to do okay your job and I want you, but, but these are areas where I've got to stand firm and stand strong. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 says, whatever you do, work at it as you're working for the Lord, right? Work at it with all of your heart as you're working for the Lord, not for human masters, and so as you look at that, and I think Daniel did that, the Lord is my judge. I'm living my life for an audience of one. And as you and I, in our workplace, in our places, we go, you know what, I'm going to live my life for the Lord. And I'm going to stand strong in those places. Second thing we see is this, is that Daniel relied on godly friends. Did you notice that? He says, please test your servants for 10 days. So it was Daniel, it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, we're going to see these guys in a couple of weeks because they're pretty awesome too. And they love the Lord. And even as teenagers, man, they were standing strong in the Lord. And we'll see that. But the fact is this. You need godly friends. You need people around you who are going to stand with you and stand strong. You need people to encourage you and challenge you. In Proverbs, it tells us this, that you are known by the company you keep. And that's so true. That's why I love seeing all these students and they're, they're fired up in their energy. That's why I love as parents that you go, you know what? Church is a priority. I want my kids around other kids who love the Lord. I mean, I want my kids around people that are on fire for Christ. Yes. They need that. We need that. And maybe you're here today, you've been checking things out, but you know, you're kind of in and out. You know, it's time to join in. We have a partnership information class next week, but jump in and be a part of what's happening because you and I need that support. Daniel wasn't a Lone Ranger believer. Neither was the Apostle Paul. (laughs) You need people around you who are going to challenge you and challenge you and encourage you. And then we also see this, that Daniel stayed strong to the Lord in spite of his circumstances. Daniel stayed strong in the Lord in spite of his circumstances. Our circumstances are going to change. They're going to come and they're go. But we got to stay strong to the Lord. The fact is this, our lives are not unlike Daniel. Daniel was living in a pagan culture. Guys, we live in a culture that, that doesn't follow the values of the Lord, do we? We live in a culture, right? We live in a culture, get this, that values touchdowns more than character and integrity. We, val- we live in a culture that values money more than character and integrity. We value winning more than character and integrity. And at some point, we are going to 
be faced with the same struggle that Daniel What are we going to do? What are we going to stand up for? What are we going to say? Now, this is important. I don't think God calls us to go out and, you know, you know rage against everything and just say, oh, everybody's wrong. And, uh, but God calls us to be steadfast. So what do we believe? See, character matters. It doesn't matter in this world as much, but it matters to God. When you're at the grocery store and the cashier gives you more change back and you stand there and you look and you say, is my character worth 50 cents? Let me give it back. When it comes to your taxes and you say, you know what, uh, this is kind of a gray area, but I can fudge a little bit and save a couple hundred bucks. And you go, is my character and my integrity worth a couple hundred bucks? Is a one-night stand worth your character and your integrity? No, it's not. And the implications are huge. For all of us, how are we going to live? What are we going to do? See, we live in a world that says character doesn't matter, but, but the fact is this, God's more interested in your character than he is your comfort. God's more interested in your character than he is your comfort. Think about that. And maybe you find yourself in a tough situation even today. God's more interested in your character than he is your comfort. Many times character is built in suffering. You know, if you were to take a banana and squeeze a banana, what comes out of a banana? Banana, right? If you were to take an orange and squeeze an orange, what comes out of an orange? Orange. <laughs> if you were to take a Christ follower, squeeze us, what comes out? Is it the things of the world or is it Christ? Get this, character is who you are when no one is watching. Character is who you are when no one is watching. The Lord is my judge. The Lord sees. The Lord hears. The Lord cares. God honors commitment to him. God honors commitment to him. Look at verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine, and they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now, we know this, right? I mean, we've studied enough nutrition to look back and go, well, yeah, of course they are. You have vegetables and fruits and water. I mean, of course you're going to look healthier. It's important what goes into your body. But it's also important what comes out. And for Daniel, man, it was Christ. It was Christ. I'm coming out. I'm standing strong. I'm going to be the man that God wants me to be. To these young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Isn't that awesome? This guy, man, he lived it. He lived it. What about you? What about me? You know, 13 years ago when God called us to plant uh, rolling hills, and, and I was scared to death, and Lisa and my wife had so much faith, and, 
And God didn't call us to plant a convent, you know, over here where we're just going to sit back and we're going to avoid sin and, you know, nobody else and we're going to stay away from culture. God called us to plant a church that would be in the world but not of the world. And God called us to plant a church that would be salt and light. And God called us to plant a church where, where people come and they could know Christ and they would fall in love and lives would be changed and transformed. That there would be a place where we could invite our friends and people would come who maybe were far from God and they would hear truth and their lives would be changed. And, Places and hearts redeemed. And, and God calls a place to have a student ministry and children's ministry where people could come and their friends would come. And, and, and people could see that there's a different way to live than it's the way of the culture. And God's done immeasurably more than we could have ever asked or ever imagined. And the call for you and for me is this, that we now are God's people. And we lock arms together as God's church. And we say we want to stay strong in the midst of a culture that wants to pull us away from the things of the Lord. We're in the world, we're not of the world. We offer grace and hope and love and peace and transformation for the glory of God. See, God gave Daniel at 15 a vision for his life. He said, Daniel, you stay strong in me. Daniel, you don't get caught up in that world. You stay strong in me. And I'm going to do great things through you. And God did. God did. In verse 21, it says, And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, the first year of King Cyrus just historically is this, 539 B.C. And King Cyrus was the king of the Persians who came in and conquered the Babylonians. Daniel spent 70 years in Babylon. 70 years in Babylon. But you know what Daniel saw? Daniel saw this. King Cyrus, when he came in, he told the exiles that they could return home that they could return back to Jerusalem. Now, no king ever comes in and says, hey, let the slaves go. You know what? Send them back. Send them back to their homeland. Once you were conquered, you were done. But God says, no, not so with me. God says, I am over all. I am sovereign. And Daniel prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed for God to send the captives back to Jerusalem. And God answered that prayer, and they went back to Jerusalem. And in 516 B.C., the temple is rebuilt. 586 destroyed, 516 rebuilt. What is that? 70 years. Just like God had said. And Daniel was faithful and he saw it. Wow. See, when you're faithful to God, I want to tell you, you see God do what only God can do. And there's such a temptation in this world to compromise. There's such a temptation to go with the things of the world. And God's going, no. Stay strong in me. Stay strong in me. Don't just avoid sin, but live your life for me. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, is, Therefore, I urge you, dear brothers, the Apostle Paul, so passionate, I urge you, dear brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of what God has done for you, think about the sacrifice that Christ has made for you. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual act of worship. Your spiritual act of worship isn't just to come in on Sunday morning and sing four songs, right, and then go back and live however we want to live. Our spiritual act of worship is to live our lives in Christ, to live our lives for the glory of God. He says in verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love that. Now think about your life. Do we conform to the way of the world? Do we conform to the pattern of the world? Or has our mind been transformed? 
Do we think differently? Do we resolve like Daniel? I've resolved not to defile myself in this area, right? I've resolved like Job. I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at another woman. I'm resolving these things in my life. Yes, I'm in the world. And yes, there's culture all around me. But I'm going to stand firm for the Lord. What about you? What about me? What about in your home? What about in your community? What about your life? Uh, recently, I had the opportunity to uh, do a wedding vow renewal for a couple. They've been married 50 years. 50 years. And so they, they wanted me to come and to uh, be with them to renew their wedding vows. Uh, you may recognize the people. That's Dolly Parton. So Dolly Parton and Carl Dean. Now, Dolly Parton has been married to Carl for 50 years. For 50 years. It's just amazing. And uh, Dolly Parton, you know, has... <laughs> She was 18 years old when her and Carl met, and they met in Nashville, and, and uh, you may have seen her movie, Coat of Many Colors, and, you know, she didn't grow up with a whole lot. She came to Nashville, and then she met Carl. That she had signed this record deal at 20, and, and, you know, the record company didn't want her to get married, so they snuck away and went to Ringgold, Georgia. And so her and Carl went there, and her mom was there, and a Baptist preacher, and a church, and she got married there. But she said, you know, I've always, I've always wanted a, a real wedding, you know? And she came back, and I don't know if you know this, but she's done pretty well. And uh, so, you know, things kind of took off for her, and she, she's, she's done great. And so here she is being married for 50 years, and, and Carl said to her, you know, what do you want for your 50th wedding? What do, what do you want? And Dolly said, I want this. She goes, I want to buy a real wedding dress. I want you to get into a tux. I want to get our wedding vow renewal, and I want to take lots of pictures. Because... You see, I don't know if many of you know this, but, but Carl, in 1969, went with her to one of those award shows, and he said, never again. Right? He goes, you go and do your career, but the public life is not for me. And so there's no pictures of him since 1969. And so, you know, and they've been married and everything, and, you know, she's like done all these things. But she said, I, I want us to take pictures together, and then I want to sell it to the tabloids, and I want to use all the money for the Imagination Library. Isn't that awesome? The Imagination Library is something she started about 15 years ago where she gives books away to like every kid who's born in Tennessee. Because she said, I want to, you know, she grew up poor. She didn't have anything. And she said, I want to make sure and fight the illiteracy rate in Tennessee. And in 15 years, she's given away 60 million books. She said, I want all the money to go for that. And so they did. They got together. And so I stood there. And as I'm standing there with Dolly Parton and with Carl, and, and I looked at them and I said, you know what, guys? I'm proud of you. I really am. I'm proud of you. In a world that doesn't stay together for 50 years. And there's not many marriages that make it, right? In a world that, you know, where there's a lot of compromise, you guys have said, we're going to stay faithful. And we're going to put a stake in the ground. I said, you guys, you know what? You've been an encouragement to me. You know, my wife and I, we've got a long way to go. But that one day we want to stand at an altar with a pastor and say, we're renewing our vows at 50 Church, I want that for you. I, I want that. You know what? And, I, and Dolly and Carl, they probably made mistakes in their lives and messed up. But you know what? In that area, they said, we were going to be faithful. And for you and for me, I want that. Listen, here's the question today. Here's the question. Who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? You could be like Jehoiakim, right? got a little bit of power, and, and I'm going to do evil in the sight of the Lord. I'm going to run with culture and everything. And, and your life could be, boom, a footnote. Or you could say, you know what, I'm going to be like Daniel. 
I'm going to be a man or a woman after God's heart. I'm going to be faithful in my day and my generation. I'm going to be faithful in my marriage. I'm going to pour into it. I'm going to be faithful as a husband, as a father. I'm going to be faithful as a wife, as a mother. I'm going to be faithful as a grandparent. I'm going to be faithful to God for all the days that God gives me here on this earth. I am going to follow the Lord. Will you do that? Will you put a stake in the ground? Maybe you're 15, maybe you're 25, maybe you're 30, maybe you're 40, maybe you're 85. But I want to tell you the best years are still ahead. You stay strong in the Lord. Don't compromise. Be a person of character. Be a person of integrity. And watch God honor that. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Listen, I don't know where you are today. I don't. But it's not an accident that any of us are here. God brought us here today for a reason, for a purpose. Because God wants to speak to us. Maybe today is the day of salvation. Maybe God is speaking to your heart. And you realize, man, I can't do it. There's so many things in my life that I can't. And God goes, you're right, you can't. But I can. And maybe today you just open your heart and say, Christ, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Maybe there's an area today where you're compromising. Even as we talked about this today, I mean, God is pricking your heart. Maybe it's an affair or an emotional affair. Maybe it's pornography. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's alcoholism or something, but something's got a hold of you. And yet today, God is saying, no. Come on. I've called you for more. I've called you for more. Maybe today is a day where you just pray with your spouse and say, let's make it to 50 years. Let's do it. Let's raise a generation that loves Jesus. I don't know where you are, but I know God's here. So, Father, here we are, men and women that you've assembled today to be followers of you. And, God, all of our circumstances are different. And maybe we find ourselves today thinking, how did I end up here? Maybe it wasn't in our plans to be here this stage in life. But I pray today, Father, that you would call us to put a stake in the ground. That you would call us to say, from this day forward, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to live my life for Christ. Father, I pray boldly, God, if there's areas in our lives where we're struggling, I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit would convict us. And then, God, that you would put godly people around us to help us get through that. Thank you for church. Thank you for community. Father, I pray for parents and grandparents that we would raise up a generation who doesn't just know how to kick a soccer ball, but, Father, who knows how to stay strong in you. Father, I pray for every teenager in this room, God, that they would live a life like Daniel to 85, passionate about you. So, Father, do something great in and through your church. In our day and our generation, do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine as we live our lives sold out for you. Father, thank you for your presence this morning. God, thank you for being here. And change us from the inside out today. In the name of Jesus, we pray.